If you guys are into shooting the copper bullets, man, I got a great deal for you. We have partnered with Barnes Bullets. They are world famous, known for that Vore TX rifle, the deadliest, most accurate hunting loads on the planet. I like this company, guys, because I have a personal connection to these guys. On uh, Down in central Utah, uh, my dad's got this ranch, and uh, on the way to the ranch, you drive past this uh, Barnes Bullets factory, and it's, it's a really cool building just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So I know them well. These all-copper bullets provide destructive power, double diameter expansion, maximum weight retention, and devastating energy transfer, all with excellent accuracy. It's a great choice for Western big game game hunters and shooters everywhere. So check them out at BarnesBullets.com and let me know what you guys think. I appreciate it. You've heard my Silencer Central ads, I'm sure. And I don't know if you have reached out and contacted them yet. If you're interested in a silencer, though, man, this is the way to go. Silencer Central from the start to finish, because it's quite the process. If you've never gotten a suppressor for one of your rifles, you've got to go through and do the ATF paperwork and the background checks and all that kind of stuff. But the cool part is, is Silencer Central takes care of it all. It's a several-month process. And so what's cool about it is if you don't want to drop all that money right at the top, uh, end of this whole process, you just get a hold of them and you can do like a payment plan while they're taking care of all the paperwork on the back end. I have the Banish 30 uh, and this thing is awesome. I've never used one of these before so I'm like learning as as I go along but what I, what I was getting at is from start to finish, Silencer Central has been some of the most amazing people I've ever worked with through the process. They treated me like I was family and I really appreciated it. You guys should check them out and you can call them at 866-891-4494 or check it out at silencercentral.com it will be worth your time i promise there exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Time Studio and brought to you by Eastman's Hunting Journals. Uh, thanks, guys, for uh, joining us this week. We are going to kind of, uh, if you guys have tuned in in the past, where we do the School of September episodes all about archery elk season and hunting elk in the rut, this is going to be kind of along those lines, but for November whitetail. So, I don't know, School of November, if you will. John Gabriel is one of who I consider one of the top public land Western whitetail hunters uh, that I know. And I thought he would be perfect for the first time doing this uh, to to kick off this this whole series with. And he is on the line right now. John, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. How about you, man? 
Doing good, man. I appreciate you joining me and uh, bearing with me through all the technical difficulties of getting this thing recorded. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's it's a it's a Friday afternoon. I think you're you're trying to check out, and I think your computer is trying to check out for the weekend too. It, that 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 could be very true, but the 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 computer got a workout this week, so it's yeah. probably ready for a, a break for sure. There How are go. things, man? Things are good, you know, just uh been extremely busy this year. Um it's it's been a year for work, I'll tell you that. And then um just trying to squeeze in some hunting here and there and you know, getting ready here for a little prep for November. It's mid-October right now and actually shoot, we're closing in on end October actually already and kind of getting ready for some deer season and Heck feel yeah. pretty fortunate, but yeah, it's uh I feel like this year is one of those years that just flew by. And I don't know how it's almost November already. I feel like it was January and I blinked and now it's, it's over. Dude, I don't know what, ha- I, I'm, I'm kind of r- riding the same boat. The, uh, it was like, we, we bought a house right over the summer and, you know, trying to sell our old property and, and this whole process of getting the house ready to remodel and all this stuff, it took forever to get to September. And then all of a sudden September hit and I don't even know what happened. Um, and here, we, here it is, like you said, almost November. I'm like, not even ready for deer season, man. I need to get out there. <laughs> yeah, I know you, you and me both. I feel like, well, it was kind of weird this year. I actually hunted elk a lot longer than I normally would. Um, and so I kind of drug it out into the first, well, eight, 10 days, whatever, October. And before I finally killed one and it just, I don't know, you know, I just, I really, I spent a lot of time and it just kind of stretched it out. So I think that's what th- what's throwing me off. And then I still have an antelope tag and I don't know. I'm like, how am I going to squeeze all this in here? But we'll figure it out. And then you got me calling you for Apex advertising and uh, yeah. trying to get you to uh, get some work done right during yeah, the season, of course. Yeah. You see, you're just throwing another wrench in that. You're <laughs> trying to go out and hunt and you're like, Hey, hold on. You're not going. So, um, no, we're good. I feel like I do always kind of hit you up for uh, for something through Apex uh, right around hunting season. For some reason, it works out like that. Sorry about that, man. <laughs> hey, no, we're good. We're good. I appreciate it. So, well, you had a pretty good season. I want to talk about that real quick. And um, I, I also, uh, I mean, it's it's always a good idea. We 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 get tons of new listeners with each episode and each month. And and you haven't been on the show for a while. Mm-hmm. Um. So we we should probably introduce who you are and what you do. And and uh, I think it's worthy to note. In fact, I was just uh, recording with Scott Reekers yesterday over at Eastman's. And we talked about you on that episode uh, because you are the one that uh, kind of lined me up with Eastman's and, and introduced me to Scott Reekers over there and got the whole thing going to, to now. Now I'm, I'm uh, you know, partnered with Eastman's and and they take really good care of me. And, and uh, I really enjoy the team over there. And that's that's thanks to you, man. Yeah, no, that I, I, hey, I'm just happy to be there and make the introduction. And sounds like you guys kind of hit it off pretty good. And I'm just, I'm happy for you. And you've done a great job with your podcast. And I felt like, you know, hey, it was a good, good fit for both of you. So yeah. I'm glad that you could both kind of benefit from that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, they're, I love everyone over there and they're all great people. And so are you. So it, I think it's a good team. But, um, yeah. So as far as what I do, um, I own Apex Advertising and I do a lot of design work, website des- design work, marketing, um, stuff like that in the hunting industry, outdoor industry, and all 
obviously, I mean, a lot of other stuff outside the industry, but that's kind of my primary um, bread and butter. And I've been having my business for about 12 years now in the industry. So that's, that's kind of, that's what I do my day job day in and day out. And then also um, own what's called the Elk Collective. And then that's a, an online educational course um, and co-owner with Dan Staten on that. And then, yeah, so we love hunting elk, love hunting whitetails and uh, feel pretty fortunate to now live in Montana and be able to explore the the vast woods over here in the long seasons that we get. So I'm, I feel feel pretty fortunate. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I want to talk about that actually in a minute, but, um, John is being very humble here for those of you listening. Um, he, the, the logo that you see for the Western Huntsman, he designed that, uh, you like helped Cam Haynes with all his stuff. I I don't know if you still do or not, but, um, I mean, throw out some brands that you've, you've done like the graphics and logos and websites and stuff like that for. Yeah. So Cam actually just, quit his day job that he had for ever. Um, oh, he did. Started, he finally quit, huh? Finally, finally quit about a year ago. And, um, wow. yep. He started to keep hammering collective and that podcast and everything. And, uh, I was pretty fortunate to be able to work with them and kind of get the whole website up and going and rebrand and do all that and help get all the, the marketing and everything set for the podcast. Um, and then there was a, another guy um, that kind of did the logo design and stuff for that. But I did all the web design and all the email marketing and all the stuff behind it. And then and, um, right before hunting season, passed it over to another company that just had a, a lot bigger bandwidth to kind of help Cam. And they did a big truck giveaway and a bunch of other stuff. So they're oh, doing wow. a great job and um, super happy and humble to be able to work with with them and Cam and everything on that. So it just kind of reached. I, I've obviously had my business for a long time and had set clients that, you know, I have obligations to each month. And, um, it was just kind of something that was getting too big for me to handle a little bit. Yeah. So. I can imagine, man. I, it's interesting too, because I, I know like he came out with that book last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great book. It's a great read. And I, I like, I remember thinking I've always been impressed with cam, from the standpoint, like he's got, uh, you know, he, let's face it. He's a well-known dude. He's, he's one of the most prolific elk hunters on the planet. Uh, you know, goes, he hangs out with Joe Rogan and stuff. And, and, uh, I, I was always amazed. He still had his day job working with like the city water district or whatever he did. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I knew I had a suspicion once that book came out, uh, that might change. Yeah. Yeah. He, he finally, I think he reached retirement status with the the city of Springfield there at the water department yeah. is kind of what I think. And then, so he just called her a day and decided now he's doing the podcast. And I mean, his lift run shoot series with the podcast and everything and pulling in people and, you know, bringing them into his daily life and, you know, between shooting bows and getting the bow rack involved and running up the mountain and training at his gym and stuff. And, and then being able to kind of also talk and bring some of these people in and shed light on, you know, different areas that it's not all hunting, you know I mean? It's like, yeah, total different off the wall, random people, but they're relevant in their industries. And it's really cool. Like, I mean, it's inspiring to kind of see some of that stuff and obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you can learn a lot too. So he's been a huge influence in my life along the way. And, um, 
Yeah. I mean, when they, we did the keep hammering logo way back in the day. And I think everyone's kind of seen that. And I was the one behind that. And then I've worked with Cam ever since I actually went on a caribou hunt with him and Kip folks back in 2008. And then, um, after that, we kind of, kind of stayed friends and here I was working on his stuff for years and it's been a, been a cool journey. So yeah, oh, that's awesome. Uh, and you talk about Eastman's actually, I won that caribou hunt out of Eastman's. They had it published in there and uh, Under Armour did back in the day. And that's actually where I learned about it, wrote the essay and won the thing was actually out of an Eastman's journal. Yeah. So, I remember that. I remember you telling me about that, man. How cool is that? Yeah. That was that's awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, I just, uh, what's oh, that? I was going to say some other brands, obviously, I, you know, Phelps, like I've worked with Phelps since day one on all of that stuff and mm-hmm. still working with them now. And um man i mean i just i've been super fortunate to work with a lot of people in the industry i mean i've done stuff for kafaru and loophole and um i mean you name it i mean yeah. there's so many companies I, I mean yeah i it's so many lists eastman's i do stuff for them monthly so i mean it's in dan's elk shaped stuff and i mean a lot of the big brands camo fire black ovis you name it I'm, i've done stuff for a lot of them so it's yeah. it's been I just I felt like it was important to highlight that uh, because I I think I I said it last time you were on the show or maybe it was I I think this is like your third or fourth time coming on this show. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always love having you on, man. I always get like excellent feedback from listeners. They they write in and because, you know, every time I put out an episode, I'll get a bunch of messages about what people think of the episode. And yours is always positive. I never get like uh, browbeat or verbally abused when I have you on the show. So it's kind of nice. That that's a plus, thankfully. <laughs> so so don't change that uh, during yeah. this episode, okay? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll keep her. We'll keep her going. You know what I'm curious about, man? Um, we we have like this connection um with l- where you lived in in Utah and and then uh, now you you moved to Montana, and I never thought I'd say this, but so did I. Um. Uh, now I, I i don't know i don't know if do am i considered like a true montanan even though i'm like right on the border of idaho like i can i can almost throw a rock into idaho does that that still yeah. counts right uh, i don't know man that's that's if you up there in that country but i know I'm, right run up by yeah. your people yeah my people um <laughs> yeah no you're I, I would say you're good you're you're on this side of the river and uh <laughs> you're, you're we'll, we'll call you good okay but uh, what, what I'm what I'm majorly curious about is after living in Utah and hunting Utah and, you, you know, going through that whole thing as a resident in, in the state of Utah, what's what's like the biggest difference between that and living in Montana? And don't do it uh, in a way that promotes everybody in Utah to move to Mon- Montana. <laughs> yeah, no, I man, Utah, honestly, there is some great opportunity there for big animals like they they manage that state really well um Mm -hmm. for trophy quality and a lot of the units it's tough as a resident you pretty much have to be a resident to draw a lot of the tags i mean you can do it as a non-resident but i mean it's going to take you forever but um some of the units that you can kind of draw and they call them general units you still have to draw those to even hunt them so they're still limited every year so really you're kind of hunting a general unit, if you will, but it's still drawn. Man, I seen some great animals when I lived in Utah, and I had a lot of fun hunting it. And it it was it was a great time. And um, the thing is, is I was kind of behind the eight ball when I actually moved to Utah, 
and um, building points and stuff like that. So I feel like, I mean, catching some of the big trophy elk units and stuff like that makes it a little tough. And then the other thing too, is a, a resident, uh, which is kind of weird from a non-resident, but a resident down there, you have to pick um, like one once in a lifetime species. So like, you yeah. know, mountain or moose or whatever sheep, you can only put in for one of those each year. And then you can only put in for a limited entry deer or limited entry elk tag if you're trying to draw one. So they really make you pick, like, do you like elk? Do you like deer? And like pick one. But it really, I mean, in my opinion, that's what makes the hunting so great is like, you know, you don't have everyone competing where like Montana, for example, I mean, the seasons are pretty liberal. I mean, it's like you get six weeks of archery and five weeks of rifle. And if you don't kill them with a bow, you go pick up your gun and keep hunting in general units for the most part, you know? Yeah, and, I know. I'm excited about that part. Yeah, which is awesome. But it's, I I mean, it, it's tough though, because it's like the quality. Yes, there's some big animals here. And in certain areas, there's big animals. But overall, I would say like true quality wise on, you know, deer and elk and stuff like that like i think utah's pretty dang tough to beat if if you have the points to do it now here's yeah. the the one kicker as a non-resident now you can build points every year for all the species so like deer elk sheep moose you're goat, talking in utah in utah yeah yeah so yeah so it's like now that i've left and i built some points before and then when i lived there and then now that i'm gone I'm still building points, but now I can build them across all the species. Granted, I'm like a still behind, but it opens up kind of that opportunity to go back and hunt, you know, maybe someday if I get lucky and draw one of them or, you know, whatever, but mm -hmm. at least you're, you're playing all the odds and all the species, which is nice. But the thing with Montana, I mean, there's so much ability and availability to hunt here you can, I mean, hunt a lot of the Western half of the state every year on a general archery or rifle tag. It's go over East, like then it starts getting us some draw units for elk and, you know, whatnot. And there are a few draw units for, you know, deer around the state. But uh, for the most part, you can kind of hunt most of the state on a general tag, archery and rifle. Um, I will say there's a lot of people out, especially during rifle season. And it gets pretty dang tough to, uh, you know, pin down you know, a big buck just cause they get hunted so hard unless you have access on private or something. So, yeah, um, that's kind of my only thing. I mean, I always joke about it with some of my buddies and I'm like, you could kill a giant, anything anywhere in Montana at any time. Like you get lucky. Cause like, there's, there's just so much country that you just, there's animals that just make it to old age here and you never know when one of them is going to slip. So, I mean, you could shoot a 400 inch bull somewhere you know just total random luck but the odds of it are i mean pretty dang slim but i mean you never know so you just never know yeah and, and what's your take on on john like john i guess what i'm asking is like for for me i i understand you know i grew up in utah and when mm -hmm. when i remember hunting back in the 90s for deer and elk back back in the day when like there wasn't there there was it was just like this orange army there was somebody on every ridge there was somebody on every uh in every drainage if not two or three of them it's it's like that time too when um people started really recognizing the uh the the whole elk calling thing right they they, mm -hmm. they really started that started coming to fruition there was 
you know, obviously people did it before then, but, but I, I feel like the nineties is when, you know, you had like that Terminator call come out and the, the, uh, those Primo's videos were coming out. And so everybody started getting into bugling for elk and like mm-hmm. you'd, go out, you'd go out in, they have weird elk seasons in the state of Utah. Uh, oh, yeah. I remember, I remember hunting up there, um, in this area that it was like, it was like the last week of August or something, or, or like way before, not way before, but before the rut really kicked off. Right. Yep. And, and I, I remember walking up this ridge in the dark and all of a sudden the sun starts coming up and, and I I'm like, there's bugles everywhere, man. And I, I thought I was the only one on this mountain. So I'm like, man, I am the shit. I figured this out. There, there are bugles going off everywhere. I'm going to totally kill an elk. As it got brighter, I started noticing now that that's other hunters, right? And, <laughs> and that was back before I could recognize the difference between a, uh, a real hunter and, and, uh, you know, just, or I'm sorry, a, a real elk versus a hunter. Yeah. Um, anyway, the I guess where I'm going is the game back then, the, the like the hunting game in general, uh, was was super challenging in Utah. You didn't, I mean, people would get excited to see a doe. The deer, the deer herds were down. Uh, there, there was not a lot of space that wasn't already taken. Um, there with which is weird because Utah has a ton of public land. But mm-hmm. I feel like the herds have really improved in the state of Utah because of the way they manage it now. Sure. However, that said, I'm I am the kind of guy. One of the things I love about Idaho and Montana is is I can go down and just get a tag, and we have these liberal long seasons. And there's something about a long season that I feel like helps both the wild game, the wildlife, and the hunter. From a sense, like I remember, like in in Utah, they they had like this five day deer season, and it was freaking D Day out there, man, because everybody was panicking. They only had five days to find a mule deer buck, and they, and they're shooting everything from spikes to you know whatever whatever buck they could find, and and it, it was like chaos. It was pure chaos. Where there's a calmness in in both Idaho and Montana, where they're because of these longer seasons. And and the the opportunity to to continue hunting like I'm going out I I didn't I didn't tag out in September that season ended for me on September 30th, but next week I've got four days in the state of Idaho to go take a rifle out and and try to find an elk right, and so yep. I'm going to do that and and so there I guess there's this fine line and I want to get your take on this this is a super long question man this is probably sure. the longest question in podcast history. <laughs> But like, where is that fine line, that balance that you see from, you know, great hunter opportunities such as Montana, Idaho, uh, and some other over-the-counter states, I think, I think Colorado, uh, versus like a real restrictive state like the state of Utah. Do you have like a preference? Obviously, you live in Montana now, so I'm assuming, but like, where, where is that fine line and what would be your preference? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I've had a few conversations with this and actually Kylie and I were sitting around elk camp this year talking about it. And, um, I think, I mean, it's, it's tough because it's, it's one of those things that most people only get a week or two of vacation a year that they're going to get a chance to even hunt. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like with their job or the family and other things, they're only going to get a week or two. So it's like for them, it probably doesn't matter so much. They're like, Hey, you know, if I could get one of these limited tags or whatever, I'm going to, I'm only going to get a week. So it doesn't, 
matter. Like I'm not going to get a chance maybe to go back with a rifle or, or maybe that is their two weeks. You know, it's like, well, I know some people, it's like they get a week for archery. They don't kill. They go back out and take another week with the rifle later in the season. So it's like kind of a catch 22, but my thing, I think on it, it, I like, for example, like I hunted a little bit longer this year and I was, you know, holding out for, you know, trying to find a bigger bull. And then towards the end of the season there, I was like, well, I had one, my last day and I was like, I'm just going to shoot a bull with my bow. And cause I really want to kill one with a bow. I don't really care about shooting an elk with a rifle so much, even though I would, but I just don't want to yeah, go I, was, I was going to say that you, I, I remember this cool video from Leupold of you killing <laughs> a bull on a river in yeah somewhere i'm not gonna name the place uh, yeah that was I pretty mean, epic that that was cool i, I mean I'm, I'm not saying that i wouldn't shoot <laughs> the rifle i'm just saying uh, around here it's like i kind of shift gears to wanting to hunt deer or you know go whitetail hunting obviously like do you know other things so and, and the orange army's out so then it's like i don't yeah. want to go deal with that as much trying to shoot an elk personally but that's my own preference now this being said, uh, I, I do like, so Montana last year, they split up some of the units over East to where if you drew one of those units during that specified season, unless it was a rifle tag, you could only hunt that unit all season. Now, if you drew the rifle tag, you had to archery hunt and rifle hunt that specific unit only all season. So if you just drew an archery tag, you could only archery hunt that unit. But then when general rifle came, obviously your tag wasn't good over there anyways, but then you could, you had to go back to the general units, but you could still hunt elk in a general unit, uh, with a rifle. But now what they've done is the, the rifle tags, like you have to archery hunt and rifle hunt that unit only all year. I do like that in a way because it keeps you, keeps a lot of the guys, makes them pick and keeps them in that unit. So it does help lower some of the hunter pressure in other areas versus, oh man, I'm struggling, you know, over in one of those units. So I'm going to come back and just go hunt a general tag now, you know, over here where people who didn't draw one of those archery tags or rifle tags over there, like they kind of have a little bit better hunting in the general units because you don't have people flooding them, you know, that can hunt. Yeah. Both. From those other. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. I do man. like, I, I like the idea. The only thing I don't like about the idea, I mean, for someone like myself, fortunately able to take time, I can go hunt and make trips, you know, longer trips or go back and forth more. Cause I have time to do it. Where like Kylie gets her one week off. If she doesn't kill now, she can't archery hunt, you know, around the house here, the other five weeks archery season. So oh, yeah, like, that does suck. Yeah. So then it's like, you know, she gets her one week and then now she basically only, then she has to wait till rifle season. Cause she, unless she can squeak some more time to go back, but it's like, you got to capitalize on that. So that kind of sucks. But I, I mean, I like the idea of still being able to have the chance to go out with a rifle, especially for someone like her or, you know, my sister or someone who doesn't have the time to keep archery hunting over there where you could spend two, three weeks and and make it worthwhile um mm -hmm. but i mean i've had guys toy around with the idea of what if you had to pick a bow or a gun you know for like elk hunting so like 
Well, like Washington, for example, you, you had to pick Archie Muzzle or a rifle. You have to yeah. pick a tag. That's yeah. That's and how so, that's how Utah was too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how Utah was. So it's like people have talked about that here. And you know, hey, what if what if you pick archery or rifle and then you know go from there? So it's like, well, if you're a bow hunter, you're gonna go out and archery hunt. And if you don't kill one, you you know, in you're done, you know. And so it's mm-hmm. like you could do that for elk and then deer, like I guess you could do the same thing, but 99% of the people are probably gonna pick a rifle for deer. So then it could get real busy maybe, or, or just as busy, I guess, as it is now, but the elk thing might split people up a little bit, man. It could make for some really good hunting. And I honestly prefer, I want to shoot one with a bow anyway. So for me, I would be all about it, honestly. And I would just go archery hunting and call it a day. Yeah. And I think it could help bring Montana back and make some really even better hunting opportunities for elk and stuff than there already is. I mean, it's great, but like it could make it really good. So, yeah. I don't yeah. Know. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, we could, we could spitball ideas for, for yeah. all Western States to uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's funny when you're talking about regulations and, you know, ideas that, that you feel like would improve the hunting or, or reduce hunter numbers in certain units or whatever. There's always people out there that have like the exact opposite position and yeah. they get really protective over it. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, you know what I'm nervous about, honestly, about moving to Montana is like, I have to dig into the Montana rigs next year and they like, they're a lot more complicated than Idaho's Idaho's easy, man. They're like, Hey, yeah, go, go get a tag and you, you know, just hunt North of the highway. That's it. Yeah. yeah you know, that, like there's a lot of, uh, differences in in how the units are broken down how to get tags all this stuff in montana that i'm gonna have to learn and it's not good for a guy that has the iq of a lizard um (laughs) for me to try to dig into this so i might have to call you and and pick your brain on some of this stuff man not a problem anytime happy to answer (laughs) there there is a lot there is yeah and and i think yeah it's it it can't be that bad shoot no i uh Let's let's switch gears here and talk a little bit of no, like uh, November whitetail hunting because uh, I meant what I said in the in, in the intro there, man. You're one of the most uh, successful whitetail guys that I know for for hunting like public land or private land. I mean public private, whatever. Uh, but out here in the West, and, and I think there's there's like this caveat to that where you know hunting whitetail in the in the West, especially on public land in the mountains, is way different. Then what you see on like a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, like sportsman channel kind of shows where they're, they're hunting in the Midwest over a, over a field and they, they know every little deer and, and have names for them and stuff. It's a, it's a whole different ball game out here. Sure. And, uh, I, I think that, I think that there's a lot of people that are like me five, six, seven years ago before I, I, I used to kind of snub whitetail, man. I used to think that was like kind of a sissy deer to hunt. Uh, cause I was a big time mule, mule deer guy and, yeah. uh, man, the more I hunt and the more I love these suckers, man, there is like just nothing smarter than, the, than a freaking mature whitetail buck in the mountains. I just, I, I, there is just something special about it, man. And, and I'm really excited about hunting whitetail this year because of circumstantially what's going on here. Uh, but I, I 
give let's let's talk about whitetail but give everybody like an overview i want to know like your whitetail resume so people understand who's talking here yeah um like like this is your the uh if if i was passing a torch to brag here here's your bragging torch yeah we're not we're not gonna go quite that deep but yeah i mean (laughs) i've hunted i've hunted whitetails a long time um you know in, in the west here but it spent a lot of time in the mountains um about 18 years straight just hunting those things and i mean i've learned a lot and you know had a lot of failures along the way that kind of helped shape into some better years but i mean i've still had failures well last year for example um i was after a couple specific bucks and you know i guess it comes with the territory when you start kind of being picky and and whatnot but I hunted pretty dang hard last year and did everything in my power and it just came down to it. It's like, I I didn't fill my tag last year could have, but it, you know, I would rather be picky and let some of these deer go and grow up, you know, just another year or two. And, and it's funny saying that because guys, you know, on a, on public land and, and there's other hunters all over the place. And some of the spots I hunt, I mean, if you went there right this minute during general rifle season and seen all the guys, you'd be like, there's no way I'm an archery hunt this like yeah. ever. I mean, it's just oh, it's a war zone. And then, but you go back with a bow and you're like, holy smokes, like, you know, there's still big bucks, you know, here to hunt, but you run that risk of, you know, like last year I had bears, cats, and wolves on my trail cameras every single trail camera had some form of predator and then uh but i you know had several on numerous cameras and uh it's tough you know because it's like you're like oh well that buck right now is like four and a half years old which reaches a nice kind of mature state usually they're starting to look pretty dang good and then you know you're like i'm gonna let him go for another year and see what he does and it's like man you run that risk, you know, of he's looking really good. Like, you know, something could get him or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it, you just got to be okay with that. So it's, uh, that's kind of what happened last year. And, and we had a pretty difficult, I think winter the year before a little bit and it, some of the predators and I lost like three big bucks last year that I had been watching grow for years. And, um, I was like, you know, they were six and a half, seven and a half year old deer. I'm talking like just big, mature bucks. Oh, wow. They were are, all gone. Are you talking, are you talking back in Washington or like, uh, yeah. are, are these Montana bucks? No, these are Washington deer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. They were gone. And so I just kind of started hunting some new spots, still had a couple bucks, but I decided to let a few go and didn't fill my tag, but I've spent a lot of time up there. I've killed some good ones. And the year before I shot that big split brow buck and he's seven and a half years old and had that buck hunted him the year before and then he got bigger seven and a half and that deer's 163 and he's a nice just big you know mountain whitetail and uh he's a cool deer and so it's like you know when you shoot one like that and then the next year it's like man i you know you're really striving i i kind of always look for like that 150 plus mark like i feel like that's a just big you know mature you're getting up there i mean 150 totally you know and so I, I'm always kind of looking for that number personally. And, you know, I, every year I'll have a couple of them. It seems like on camera here and there, but it's takes a lot of work to find them. And, um, you know, that that's kind of what I'm after, but it's, it's been fun. We've killed a ton of deer between my dad and sister and I, and 
Well, Kylie should have had probably the second biggest buck we have in the house. And she uh, got un- unlucky and just hit the void and never got him. But he yeah. was a cool deer. And so, yeah, I mean, hey, it is what it is. We've we've had some fun, you know. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like, I love going back just for the chase. Have you hunted whitetail anywhere besides the West? Nope. I, I've spent all my time hunting them up in Northeast Washington. Well, yeah. North Central to Northeast Washington, you know, it's kind of up in that area. And then um, I've hunted them in Idaho and Montana, but I've never been anywhere like outside. So I've kind of been in that bubble here in the Northwest. I yeah. really, really, really want to go to uh, like the Midwest and go experience some of that because just just to do it, but it's so different. Like hunting them on the farms and having mm-hmm. hundreds of deer or even fifty deer. Like I mean, I'm lucky to get fifty deer on all my cameras. Between I, I would say I'm lucky to get thirty deer on all my cameras all freaking fall. You know? Oh yeah, so, me too, man. Yeah, I, I usually have like where I run cameras. There's like there's like eight bucks, and four of them are targets. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. It's exactly how the game is and versus having yeah. 30 bucks, you know, on a farm back, you know, in the Midwest, but mm-hmm. I don't know, like Dirk and Phelps last year, they, they went and hunted Kansas and hunted someplace. And yeah, like, the stories I'm hearing, I'm just like, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm like, you, you're seeing like more deer in one field in one day. than it's like, I get to see, you know, all fall. So, I know, man, it drives me crazy. I, I, I've been, I was talking with Chris Rowe. And, you know, he manages some wildlife habitat thing for to to grow these big bucks, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and he had this opportunity to come to Kansas with him and um, had to like pay the I don't remember what the fee was. It wasn't bad, uh, but it just wasn't working out for me timing wise. So I'm, I'm I really I'd love to go hunt with Chris because Chris Chris has like this biologist mind and and I like learning from that side of it. Uh, why these bucks are doing what they're doing and you know and and he's got this perfect setup out there and and one one day i'm going to make it happen i I don't know might be next year might not be but either way uh there there's a there's like this huge difference and i don't know and maybe you know something about this i don't know if there's like what kind of behavioral differences there are you know compared to i've hunted deer in north carolina and they they were different than these these uh whitetail here in like north idaho you know they just from a sense of like their patterns and where they moved and and times of day that they moved they were super active at like midday uh and the uh and obviously the size man they're like big golden retrievers on in, in coastal north carolina right, um right. you know where i was stationed and so and that's actually where i shot my first whitetail and okay. Anyways, I, I do you know if there's like major behavioral differences or, or just just general um, what they like movement patterns stuff like that? You know, west to west. Yeah, I'm not sure to be honest with you. Like totally, um, you know, from guys that I've talked to from hunting some of the other stuff. Like I, I'm a personal like preference guy. Like I sit in the stand all day. Like you know, I'm talking. I get in at an hour before daylight and I don't leave my stand until dark. So it's like, I sit all day long and that's, that's what I do. And I mean, I have a lot of deer movement and some of my biggest bucks, like I'll see from 10 to two midday. 
and yeah. they'll be out cruising looking for a doe or or whatnot. And I just I've had a lot of good luck in that kind of midday time frame, but I've also killed some right at you know in the morning, the first hour, and I've killed them, you know, the last hour. The last hour is really good, obviously, because they're getting yeah. on their feet out laying around. But um that last hour is my favorite. Yeah, I, I love that time. And uh and it always feels really deary. It's like it's getting dark, you feel like a big mm-hmm. buck's gonna come cruising by. And uh yeah, I, I love that time personally, but I yeah, I don't know. And that that's I think kind of why partially I do want to go hunt the Midwest or like go back somewhere, you know, over there is just to experience and see what's different, you know, or those deer yeah, yeah, yeah. coming out in the the morning and the evening. Well, they're out all night, but you catch them in the morning at daylight and then they're leaving those fields and stuff to head to bed and then you know, hunt them in the evening, you know, when they're coming out to feed type of thing, or can you hunt them all day? Like, I'd like to know, but I mean, where I'm hunting in thick timber and stuff, they kind of seem to move, you know, all day. I mean, I've had deer literally between stands, like all hours of the day. Yeah. I, I I have two. And, uh, I, I want to talk, I want this conversation to kind of, you know, help people that not everybody is, do, do you know, Troy Pottinger? Yeah, I know. I know who Troy is. I, I, he's someone I would love to go hunt whitetails with. Yeah. And um, I mean, we've talked a few times, like a little bit, but I, I would love to just go and like hunt with him and just see like what Troy does. Cause I have things that I know I do. And we do a lot of things I'm sure that are very similar. And yeah. I mean, we both had a lot of luck, but I just, man, it's like one of those things I would love to just like pick that guy's brain in person, you know, just, to, yeah just do it. He, he, you know, the thing is, is he, he would, he would love to probably do that with you too. He's, he's such a, a great down to earth kind of guy, but I, I bring him up because like, when I think, when I think just absolute Western whitetail killing machines, I think of you and I think of Troy. And, and so what, the, where I'm going with that is not everybody is, is John Gabriel and Troy. Right. And so what, what I want this discussion to kind of, go towards is is for those folks out there you'd mentioned earlier you know maybe some some guys out there yeah maybe they only have a week or they only have the weekends or or maybe evenings during the week i i want to i want to try to help them be a little bit more successful without without knocking over um you know spikes and two points or whatever not and again i i i'm not judging that so you know save your nasty emails uh i'm just saying most people with a brain understand that when you go hunting the goal is to try to get the biggest thing you can get and uh you know again i'm not judging it if you shoot a little one so every time i say that john i get a handful of uh really nasty emails about well i just fill i'm filling the freezer up damn you uh you know it's okay if i shoot a two-point i don't care i don't care if somebody's shooting a a two-point i am saying that most people have this objective to shoot a bigger buck Right. Yeah. And, and that's just this is like it's not it shouldn't be controversial. Most people want to shoot a little bit bigger buck. But that said, not everybody's going to go out and shoot a six and a half, seven and a half year old buck uh, uh, because, you know, you know time restrictions, uh, skill level, that kind of thing. Um, I want to talk to the the folks that are interested in getting like a nice four point or better. Right. When yeah. it comes to whitetail. And and I want to pick your brain on that. So so I'm going to kind of roll f- through this with like a series of questions, kind of like I do with the School of September. 
and and one to start off with is when you think of 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 whitetail hunting in the mountains public land what what's going to be like your your key week in november for you what what week is going to be most optimal for people to see bucks cruising for does uh i would say thanksgiving week hands down um that because the week before a lot of the big bucks that i have at least will go on lockdown you might catch one if you get a doe coming by like you know i'm I'm usually hunting around that time but it's tough and then all of a sudden around like thanksgiving uh the 22nd 23rd 4th somewhere in there you'll get them breaking up off those does and all of a sudden they start cruising pretty hard so that kind of 22nd through the end of november man it can be like lights out sweet Okay, let's now from from that question, let's back up in time a little bit and talk about like preseason preparation from scouting to uh, setting cameras to setting tree stands or ground blinds or whatever. Do, do you have a preference on like a tree stand versus a ground blind or or how do you what do you recommend for something like that? Yeah, so I I always use tree stands and that was kind of my go to forever. Um, like I love sitting in a tree and I and I always set. Well, we can get deep on that, but I set my tree stands anywhere between about 22 to 25, 26 feet. And the thermals kind of change once you get over about that 20, 22 foot range. So I I stopped getting winded as much, but Uh uh, ground blinds, man, you can get away with a lot. And like I've had, once we started using those, my sister started hunting and Kylie and um, we started using ground blinds. I love them because one, if it happens to rain, uh, you're, you're dry. Um, two, you can kind of get away with a lot more movement, especially if you're sitting there all day and you got to get up and use the bathroom, or if you need to eat lunch or whatever, you, you're not fiddling around, hanging off the side of the tree. Um, so I do like them for that, but I, the thing with a, a ground blind is I do feel like they hide your scent pretty dang well. And I, I mean, man, we've had deer come in and some days and the wind's blowing a little bit. And I'm like, ah, I don't know, shoot, this, this isn't good. Like, you know, and yeah, you can me watch, too, man. Yeah. You can watch the wind, you know, on like a piece of moss or something and it's blowing right there. And I'm like, oh, they're going to wind us. And then all of a sudden they just, they'll walk right by, you know, and it's like, huh. So I do love in, in, and I'll be honest, once I started using ground blinds, it opened up a handful of areas to hunt that I never would have hunted before because the trees weren't tall enough to hang a stand. Mm -hmm. So like that was a plus. So honestly, now I use a mixture of both and like, I I love it because it's like, especially if I know the weather is going to be bad one day or like raining or the snow is going to melt off trees all day and I don't want to get soaked. I'll go sit a blind, you know? Yeah. And so I love ground blinds, man. I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I, I love the ground blinds. I, I don't, I don't know why I just, I, like you said, I've, I've gotten a lot closer to deer sitting in a ground blind. Well, I can't even make a comparison, dude. I'll I'll make a confession right now. I have never sat in a tree stand, never. And, and it's because I, I, I feel like I don't have the kind of patience it would take to sit in a tree stand, uh, where where, if I'm in a ground blind, I could like take a book, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway, I don't mean to get you off track. No, no, no. You're, you're good. It, and and that's the thing. I, and another thing is safety. Like my daddy's 76 and I mean, dude, him oh. climbing up a tree now and you know, when you have all the layers on and everything like, eh, gets a little sketchy, you know? And so for him, it's more of a safety thing. And, and I, you know, Kylie or anyone, like I'm looking out for safety wise too. And ground blinds are definitely safer, definitely get away with more. 
the only thing I'll say that I've kind of found with ground blinds over the years and, and, you know, take this for what it's worth, but it's like, if you have an area that you're going to hunt and you're able to take that weekend off, you know, and, and depending on how far you have to drive from your house to set up or whatever, uh, you know, it's worth going that couple weekends prior and go set some blinds up and leave them to let the deer get used to them or a tree stand. I could find a spot that day and be like, yeah, this is great. And go cut some, you know, limbs or whatever. And like hang a tree, you know, stand up and have a set. And Good then point. you got a place to sit. Cause the deer aren't spooked where I've set blinds up and I've had a couple trails that before, I mean, there was bucks just hammering this trail and throw a ground blind in. And I mean, I've had does come by and they just absolutely freak out. And like, I mean, they're like, what is this? And they'll back up and they stomp and they're doing their whole looking and blowing and really investigating and they'll spook and run off. And I'm like, great. But then about a week or two later, they're back to normal. So yeah, I like, I like to get ground blinds in early and get them brushed in and do all that where tree stands, I can get away with a lot more and a lot less invasive. I feel like in a stand. Gotcha. Okay. So that, see, th- this is why I like having you on, man. You've always got something that is, uh, it like triggers a thought of mine that I've never really thought of before. So I've never thought of that aspect with a tree stand and I have one, you know, it's interesting. I have a brand new tree stand. I've never even used it. Uh, anyway, um, going, going back to the, the like season prep kind of questions, when like if a guy were to go out in the summer months and and try to scout for an area uh to look look for a place to whitetail hunt in November, what what's he gonna be looking for? What what should he be looking for? I think um and this kind of comes down to spending a lot of time in that area, but during the summer, I'm gonna pick out in in some areas with some ridge systems that are gonna kind of run down and Maybe you get three, four ridges that'll come down to, you know, connect in the bottom and you might get one finger, you know, ridge where it gives deer these travel corridors to be able to kind of come down the mountains and and meet a bench or a spot where they're going to converge and hang out. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to start looking for scrapes. And there's certain things that are called community scrapes. And Troy's pretty heavy on this too. And so am I, um, where you can go in. And you, these deer will hit these scrapes literally like year round. And it's more of a, you know, hey, I'm in the area, you're in the area, you know, who's around type of thing. And you can kind of even make your own and, and turn them into, you know, the big community scrape and bring other deer to the area. And um, I'm going to obviously be looking for rubs, stuff like that, and, and find some swamps or or whatnot, or like areas where there's pinch points, you know, and I'm going to go in there and start hiking and I'm going to try to find these scrapes. I'm going to try to find rubs, see if there's a lot of rubs, if there is deer sign around, um, you know, trails with lots of deer tracks. It's fun to go like, you know, early in the spring before the grass is really green up. So you can still even see scrapes and stuff from the year before on the ground. Uh Um, And then you'll still see deer tracks and trails at that time, you know, when the grass is still kind of in that yellowish like stage from the snow melt. And, um, uh, that's, I, I just start tearing areas apart. Like, you know, I'll pick out a two, three, four areas on Google earth, tear them apart on Onyx. And then, um, you know, look for those kind of key pinch points and then I'll go in and just start hiking. And I'm really looking for rubs, scrapes, and, um, 
you know, obviously at the same time too, spots I can hunt, you know, is this somewhere I can hike into? Can I get to this spot kind of fairly, you know, undetected and easy and, you know, make this one work. Can I hang a stand or set a blind in this spot, you know, and, and get a shot. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of absorbing all that as I'm, I'm walking through these spots. Okay. You know, what always comes to mind when it comes to whitetail for me, John, like when I'm thinking about when I think about scouting for elk or scouting for mule deer or even trying to find a good bear spot, there's there's like this, for, for me, I can always, I, I can go into a brand new unit that somewhere I've never been, and I can always figure out where the mule deer are going to be, and I can always figure out where the elk are going to be, and I can usually figure out where the bear is going to be. Yep. Whitetail are a little different for me, and I don't know if it's it's a me thing. Or if that's if that's like somebody like you that's that's got uh, you know a, a much better track record with whitetail bucks, uh, is that is that something that is a thing, or is it just my own personal ignorance? I I just don't know what I'm looking for, kind of thing. If I'm going into like a new unit, why can't I quickly identify where I think the mule deer are going to be? Or I'm sorry, not mule deer, whitetail, where I can do that with every other species I hunt. Is that is that just a me thing? Um, no, I mean, I, I've been in areas before where I, you know, I'm like, oh, there should be deer here and, and there's nothing, you know, or, um, I, and here's the one thing I think with like elk, we know they're going to kind of be in a certain area or look for burns or this or that and water mm -hmm. sources and, you know, timber feeding, like it's different mule deer. You're going to be looking at those higher, you know, elevations, burns, that type of stuff, but it's like whitetail. I've seen whitetails clear from the river bottoms all the way to the top of the peaks at, you know, I 10, know. Yeah. I think know, that's, 10, that's my point. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of one of those things that, uh, you know, do I, there's, they range so far, but I've kind of found like, you know, elevation wise, and, and this kind of depends on the country that you're hunting and, and, and where you're at, but, but like that three to like six, 7,000 foot range somewhere in there. So I try to kind of focus there, but then I start thinking about November and I'm like, okay, if the snow hits and these animals are moving down, where are they going to go? Well, the, usually late November, the snows hit, it's up high. They're going to shove those deer down and you're going to be looking like that three to 5,000 foot range. So I'll kind of start weeding out some of that higher elevation stuff. Cause I know the snow is going to come in and it's going to shove them down. So instantly I start going down lower and looking in some of those kind of that range and then, you know, go from there. The one thing I will say it is, yeah. it is kind of tough because I mean, there's areas where I've seen deer like crossing a road or something, you know, when I'm like driving around, just, you know, yeah. going yeah, to yeah. Spot. I'm like, why is there a white tail right here? Like there's, right? here, you know, and so, I mean, I found bucks in places that would, they shock me. I mean, even in places that I don't expect them. So I don't oh, think yeah. there's, there's really any like, well, I mean, there's definitely areas that I, I know and, you know, because I've hunted them so much and I'm like, there's going to be deer right here. But mm -hmm. I, it's, it's, um, I feel like you can find a whitetail in so many places that, I'm kind of more in the leave no stone unturned and I check everything versus like, oh, I'm just going to go to this little pocket because I think there's deer here. Like, no, I'm, I'm yeah. covering everything that I can. 
Let me tell you about the show's newest sponsor, Juniper Mountain Coffee. You can check them out at junipermountaintradingpost.com and check out everything that they sell. I really like what they say on their website. And guys, if you are a coffee connoisseur like me, this here American company that's not run by a bunch of wokesters might be worth checking out for you. What they say is, we roast coffee for those loyal to a lost way of life, those that never back down in the face of adversity, the ones that keep their word, treat people with respect, and still believe in the importance of hard work. We offer some of the best coffee in the world and look forward to earning a spot in your cup. And they have definitely earned a spot in my cup. Whether you like light roast, dark roast, ground already, or not ground, you just want to order it fresh. And they even have those little pod things for those of you that just make one cup at a time. I drink too much coffee for that, so I don't do that. And they also have a cold brew. But it's a great company, great story. Uh, You guys are going to dig these guys. Check them out at junipermountaintradingpost.com. Let them know the Western Huntsman sent you. This is that time of year when it's really time to turn up the heat on your scouting. We're going through summer. Season's going to be here before you know it. And I don't care if you're going after mule deer, whitetail, the mighty whoppity, whatever it is. Scouting is imperative and it makes it much easier when you use trail cameras where they are allowed. And uh, let me tell you something. I, I like trail cameras that are easy to use, functional, and have good quality pictures. That brings us to SpyPoint. SpyPoint trail cameras. You can check them out at spypoint.com. And it doesn't matter if you're looking to do one of the cell cams, like the Flex X or the Flex G36 or the LM2. They have some great deals on their website. Like right now, if you check them out, they've got some clearance cameras going on on the cell cams. You can also get a cell link that attaches to any regular cell camera and will uh, transmit pictures right to your phone. The other trail cameras, if you're way out in the backcountry and don't have phone service out there, the Force Pro S and the Force Pro are my go-to cameras. I absolutely love them. If you guys saw the pictures from this last bear season, they were really high-quality pictures, and they were all done with that Force Pro camera. So check it out, guys, at spypoint.com, and let them know the Western Huntsman sent ya. Yeah, I, I, I love the way you explain that. And and because I think that there especially for any of you new hunters out there that are that are thinking about chasing some whitetail uh this this November, man, like like John said, I have where I, I live down kind of right on the Clark Fork River, right in Montana. Uh and, and it's as far as Montana goes, lower elevation, you know, kind of thing. And I've got a monster whitetail that lives on our street. Like we, we live on this dirt road, right? And these are all like five to 20 acre tracks or whatever. And everybody's kind of the same as, uh, you know, they're like these homesteading type folks, like, like we are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, you drive down the road and, and man, my neighbor has this, I I swear they're, they're like, they probably have a name for him and, and about to put a collar on him or something. He's like a pet. He's just a freaking monster. Um, like, you were saying 150-ish class. This is this is like a 170-ish, 180-ish deer. I'll take a picture of him and send it to you. I, I love seeing this. I see him every morning. Anyway, but uh, getting back to what you were saying, you know, the, the disparity between like where you'll find a big mule deer buck versus where you won't is, is there, there's a lot of disparity there. There, you, there, there's consistency that you can count on, I guess is a better way of putting that. You, you know, that if you find some mule deer does, you're probably going to find a two point or a three point buck running around with them, right? Yep. When when the, the, and and that is just not the case with whitetail. 
from a sense of there, there's no predictability. There's no consistency. Sometimes, sure, they might have a buck running around. Sometimes you're going to see three or four bucks running around. Sometimes you're not going to see any deer, but it could be at, you know, sea level all the way up to 10,000, 11,000 feet elevation. And, and I think that that's, that's one of the difficult parts to that. And um, I, I think that's also what makes whitetail so exciting is like they, there's this unpredictability factor that I've got with them where, man, they'll, they'll surprise the crap out of me. In fact, uh, I set a mule deer focused camera up on the mountain last year, thinking that I'd I'd find some. Uh, I I know mule deer live up there, right? And so that's kind of what I was looking for, and I did. Sure. There was a there was a few decent bucks on there, and and uh, hit hit the camera. But what surprised me is the caliber of whitetail bucks that would come in like an hour behind the muleys, and it, it just like these are bucks that you just don't see when you're up there. Like mm-hmm. I'll see the muleys. I'll see those guys. I'll, I'll see them working across the ridge, you know, at, at right at sundown or whatever. I never see these whitetail buck and I don't see whitetail does up there either that high. Um, man, I totally got off track. What, what the hell was I going to ask you? I don't know where you're going with the question, but I think you're, you were just talking about how like the deer are so diverse in the country that they, yeah, cover. man. Yeah. And, and, and that diversity is what kind of makes them really fun because people people are there there's like two two kind of questions that we get on the show here quite a bit and I don't care if it's it's like you know elk hunting mule deer whitetail whatever but there there's two types of questions I get I get questions where people are kind of the implication is they're looking for an easy button like how do I just go find a whitetail buck versus the question the type of question which is the the ones that I I like to get and I I, I because I like kind of the that philosophical side of hunting uh, but th- they're more like, Hey, I am, I'm, I'm going out and I'm, I'm looking at, uh, North face, East face slopes, and I'm not seeing any deer trails on these slopes, but I'm seeing them on, on, on this South face slope. And I thought that was wrong. And I wanted to get your take on as to why they're running this South face slope. Now, look, for those of you listening, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know. I have killed whitetail on south face north face east face and west face and so i i don't i don't know if there's a pattern there do you have do you have some insight on that john like do you have like uh if you know how we always find elk on north face slopes kind of thing is yep. there something like that related to whitetail um i mean i i definitely like same as you like i've killed bucks on you know all sorts of different faces um and so i mean i can't really sit here and say yeah or no but i will say i've killed a lot of deer in november on a more south southwest like type slope if you will mainly i think a little bit because if if i'm hunting and it's snowing or whatever or if the snow starts melting off it's kind of the area that they'll get burned off you know to get a little bit of grass that'll come through or through the trees you know kind of seem to melt a little quicker and so I've had a lot of luck on kind of looking for some stuff and trails that, you know, are coming down those ridges on those, those South facing slopes that time of year. Um, and, and it definitely seems to work. Now, that being said, I've got one stand that's total opposite on the North side of a mountain and I've got some big bucks on that camera. And, you know, it's kind of like, I think that they live in that like all year long. So they're more in that, um, 
you know, hanging out on the North North base in the summer and they're staying cool and then it's thicker. And so they kind of like to hang out there and then they'll leave there. And I've got the same bucks wrap around the backside of this one mountain. And I've had them on the South facing camera, you know, the same night. And I mean, I had one Mm. buck like he went four miles in a couple hours clear around the backside of this mountain. He showed up on another camera. And I mean, so obviously it doesn't matter, you know, like to him, but the South face generally, I I've definitely had a little bit better luck personally finding the deer on those, um, on those sets. Yeah. I, I, I would definitely second that, especially the later you get in November. Um, the let's see I'm trying to go through my my questions here sorry i got distracted i got my chickens got out of their chicken coop dude and they're shitting all over my back deck and i can see them out the window it's driving <laughs> me crazy Uh-oh. uh yeah i'm not sure how they're getting out anyway um do you uh, let's talk about calling for a minute uh strat strategically now in the state of washington are are you are you have you ever done like any baiting of of whitetail what do you have do you have like a strategy that uh, that would be your go-to in terms of you've got calling you've got baiting you can use sense you can use just trails uh and and you know corridors whatever you want to call it what's your go-to strategy when it comes to that yeah. So, I mean, we've kind of done a little bit of everything I in this varies on my spots. Like I have a few spots where I've found some of these ridge systems where the trails come down and found a natural bench with community scrapes and stuff during the summer. And they hit those spots during the fall rutting and stuff like that. And, um, it's, it's this one spot in particular, it's just this natural, perfect bench up and on this side of this mountain and the deer seem to hang out there a lot and it's more trail based. You know, they're going to come by, they're going to hit these scrapes. They're going to, you know, check it out. It's just a really killer spot. But, um, I, I like looking for spots like that because I feel like you're a little less invasive, less undetected, uh, versus you go throw a pile of bait out on the ground. It's like, yeah, the does will come in. They're going to eat the crap out of it. But also at the same time, man, some of those big bucks, like they come in and they are so weary. They're like, what is that? Like, you know, and even though the does are there, they might not even come over and eat it. Like I've yeah, literally it's not bought. natural for them. Yeah, exactly. Like the does and fawns will come in and small bucks and eat the crap out of it. You throw some alfalfa out or whatever, and they'll eat it and they'll stand there all day until it's gone. But the big bucks, like I've literally watched them come in, circle it, sit there, look, circle, watch a doe, and they'll stand out there at 20, 30 yards or farther away. And just what is going on? Like what? Uh, no, yeah. you're good. You eat, you get fat and happy. I'm going to stay over here. And so I'll kind of play my tree stand set up or blind or whatever, accordingly, knowing that they might come in and hit a secondary trail. Bucks kind of seem to, the big ones seem to have their own their own trail that they like to walk. And it's usually, you know, 20 to 40 yards off of the main deer trail. And all of a sudden you'll see this big buck track and he'll kind of stay off of it and usually downwind. So he can catch the scent of the other deer walking the main trail. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he'll kind of pick up on that. And I've literally watched bucks do that and walk this trail and, you know, killed them doing that. But 
we've called, um, done the, the whole thing. I mean, I've called bucks in, I, I was actually walking into a stand one day, got, was going in at 10. I got over there late in the morning and I was like, I'm going to go sit the rest of the day walking in. And my big target buck is literally standing right below my tree stand as I'm walking in. And I was oh. like, you, you gotta be freaking kidding me. <laughs> and, uh, so he spooks runs off. I'm like, well, I shouldn't even sit here, but there's another buck I knew in the area. And I was like, he might come by. So I climb up in the tree stand, get all set. And I grab my doe bleat and I hit that thing three times. And that big buck, all of a sudden here he comes, I hear sticks and he's crashing down off the hill, running right at my tree. Really? And I was, yeah. Craziest thing ever. And I was, just that surprises to- the crap out of me, man. Yeah, of course. That's the only time I've ever had that happen. Never had it happen again. So, wow. but he ran right down to the tree, 26 yards and stops behind this tree. I'm at full draw and he's looking around and can see his head kind of turning, looking out the other side of the tree, need him to literally take just a step or two. And he just turns and then he just walked back off up the hill. I never got a shot. Oh, and dang. Like <laughs> so de- depressed. Cause I mean, he was a big buck. He had big, yeah. and cool deer. And, uh, never got him and I've done dope bleach since. And I've, I've had a couple small bucks, you know, come sniffing in their head on the ground, you know, doing the whole mm-hmm. running thing, walking in. And then, uh, but I've also had a lot of times where it doesn't work. And then I've rattled, my dad's rattled. He had a buck come flying in one day and ran right in and just stops 20 yards in the tree, looking around, like, where's the fight. And I mean, we've, We've kind of had luck doing it all in scents, hanging, you know, the scent gland stuff in the tree or oh, yeah. like spraying the licking branches. And I've had bucks, you know, and does too come in and lick them and kind of do their thing and make a scrape. And um, I've done it all over the years. And I think one thing that I never count out is I always have all those things with me at all times. So I'm like, okay, well maybe the scrape thing hasn't working for a day or two, but let's try some calling. Let's, you know, and, and depending, like I said, where I'm at, cause some places it's far, like I'm not going to pack bait, but like, or if it's closer, I might be like, well, let's throw some bait out on the ground and just see if we can get a doe to come by, you know, and like suck them in, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like you can never have too many tools in your toolbox. And so I always have like everything with me at all times. I could rattle, I could do doe bleeds, do the sense bait, whatever. And I'll kind of, I keep my options open. Let me ask you this, man. If, if you had a, uh, you had to make a decision, there was like some, you know, maybe the game warden came by and said, Hey, there's a new law and you can only pick either rattling a grunt or a doblet. Which one would you choose? Oh, <laughs> that's a tough one, huh? Dude, that's a hard one. Um, that's a good question. I would say, man, I'd get rid of the doble. I've had more luck doing little like tending grunts, acting mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a buck there and he's on a doe and, you know, he's kind of, he's, or there's another buck in the area and like he's doing the little tending grunts or fighting or like whatever. Honestly, I'd probably pick a grunt yeah. uh, just because I feel like I've had over the years way more response to that or like, do a grunt or two and all of a sudden like you'll get a deer like stand out there looking you know like you'll see yeah one, like, you know um versus like fight he's got to want to fight so it's yeah i would pick a grunt all day 
Okay, but. good man, because that that like vindicates me. That's that's how I feel too. Especially, I gotta throw Phelps a, a little shout out. Those those new grunt tubes, they've got the alpha and the beta. Oh man, uh, man, they're they're freaking solid, man. They are not those chintzy ass plastic crappy grunt tubes that like don't work in, unless it's over thirty two degrees. Yeah, you know, and and so I've had lots of success with grunting. I've I've had very little to rattling in fact i i can only think of like two bucks that and they were both little bucks that came that came in on on uh using a rattle but mm-hmm. i don't know other people swear by them so i'm just kind of like you know whatever <laughs> I, yeah i like i like the thought that you said uh about having all of these weapons in your toolbox you know you you do have you have the bleat you have the you have the grunt tube you have a rattle a set of antlers to rattle with or, or whatever. One of those little bags, you know, they, I, I've never used one of those. Yep. Phelps has um, one of those too. What's that? Phelps has one now too. The rattle, little rattle bag. Oh, and, they do. Yep. He just, he, they got that. And then, um, dude, the I'm going to, I'm going to poke Dirk right in the eyeball for not telling me he, he has a rattle bag that yep. I, I didn't know. Yeah. He's got one of those. And then, um, but I, I will admit, uh, we were talking about Phelps's grunt tubes though. The kind of rubber exhaust hose on those, man, they sound so good and so real versus some of the plastic ones. Um, man, yeah. I truly like last year I was using the well, all of them. I had literally everything, but uh that the alpha and the beta both, man, those sound I used them both and kind of tuned them. You know, they got that little tune board in there, you can move it and man, mm-hmm. they sound so freaking good. And I just was like, Yeah, you you made a good call. Like you got you got a good one here. So. I have I have never had, you know, because I, I want people to understand that maybe have never done this, this kind of thing, you know, calling, calling for whitetail. It is not like calling coyotes or calling elk. They, mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you're trying to just piss this whitetail buck off and he's get, you're going to entice him to come in and have a big brawl with you kind of thing. I, I, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, but I, I feel like the goal with that with using using a call like a grunt call is is triggering a little bit of curiosity for having a buck come check it out and they're going to be way more cautious than some fired up bull that's responding to your bugle and same thing with a coyote you know i i am like uh, a a pretty prolific coyote caller and and it's just not the same kind of game um with when you're when you're talking about calling deer it it's so hit or miss. And in the past, and again, I, I, I'm not trying to toot Phelps's horn too much here, but in the past, it has been very inconsistent when it comes to these grunt tubes for me. You know, maybe they work every once in a while. And if they do, it's most likely going to be a younger buck. With with that beta call, I use that beta one. Uh, it was like money. And I underestimated it the first time I, I took it out. Um, but it, it, it worked way more than any other deer call that I've ever used. Like, and it, it, this is just like an authentic, um, review of, of how these calls work. And I, I think I'm just pulling it up on the web. I'm trying to find that, uh, that bag you were talking about. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know. I made everything for it. Deer calls. Okay, so you got the Omega Hybrid Grunt, grunt Call, Beta Beta Call. You have the al- Alpha. I have never, I have, I've not tried the Alpha Call. 
That was Let's a little see. deeper. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, Smash and Clash Rattle Bag right here. 25 That's bucks. What it's called. That's what it's called. I made the logo for it. I'm going to check the logo and check your work here. Hang on. <laughs> okay. I, I, I approve, man. You did a pretty good job. Maybe that antler's not quite big enough on the that third time, but uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, we could have went a little bigger. Dirk could eat that one, so you can yell at Dirk. It's probably a it's probably a Dirk deer. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> do you want to pick? Do you want to pick on Dirk? He always he's always picking on you, man. I uh, hey he, me, well, we could, but we could leave that for another day. He spent like <laughs> ten days living in my garage this September, maybe a few more, and we had a lot of laughs. So <laughs> I love Dirk. I just I, so and the more I pick on somebody, the, the it usually means I like you more. Yeah, exactly. Um, outside of, of vocalizations calling, I know we're running a little long here. You good on time for a minute? Yeah, I'm good. Outside of vocalizations, calling grunt, you know, grunt bleats, uh, using, have you ever used one of those little, uh, what, what were those, those primos cans you flip mm. them upside down? Yep. <laughs> yep. I actually called in a little three point with one of those ones. Um, what other tools are out there for somebody who is not super tuned into whitetail hunting, but they want to be? Are there other tools out there, uh, whether it's calling, whether it's um, in states that you could bait? And, and, and when we say baiting, folks, you get you really got to be careful with your rigs. I uh, don't believe baiting is legal in Montana, I know, and I know it's not in Idaho. Uh, so other Western states, you got to check your regs on that kind of stuff. But, uh, we, we're, we've, we've talked about baiting using scents like, uh, you know, buck fever synthetics and, and whatnot. Uh, we've talked about calling. Is there a tool that I'm leaving out that you can think of? Uh, well, I mean, a big one for me is trail cameras. Um, like yes, I, yes. you know, like to me running trail cameras gets me more Intel than like anything else, you know? So I think like, I rely more, I mean, granted, we're not talking about really calling them in and like how you're going to get one in to kill one. But like, for me, knowing what's around and knowing that, oh, hey, yeah, there is a big buck that's running around here or hitting a scrape or, you know, there's does, there's pile of does in this area. Like I know a buck's going to show up or if there is one, you know, like I'll start setting cameras around it, trying to find out, you know, if maybe I'm missing him or whatever. But um yeah, like to me, a trail camera on whitetail hunting is like your number one tool. Like you better get a handful of them and start just scattering those things out. And sometimes I'll set a trail camera on a trail and then I'll set another trail camera on the same trail behind it or facing it or like going a different direction. So I've got like two angles or like something or, you know, trying to make sure. And I've actually caught deer a handful of times that walked by and tripped the one night or the second one that I thought they should have hit the first one and never did. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I had that second camera up, you know? So, mm. um, and I usually only do that in like very targeted spots where, you know, it's kind of, I know that there's maybe high traffic or like, you know, if I'm out on a scrape or a rub line or something like that, but, um, yeah, it trail camera to me is like your number one tool. You better just invest in them, have them. And, if you can do the cell cam thing, uh, so, you know, obviously some states do better check that. I'm not sure like they're legal everywhere, like, but everywhere I seem to set up, I never have cell service. So I haven't really even ever got to use one. Um, some buddies have and they love them, but uh, I think that'd be a great tool too, just because you can. You, you've never used a, a cell cam? 
I, everywhere I've ever set a, well, let me back up. I've set cameras in other places that I've had service. I just didn't have one, but 90% of my spots that I hunt whitetails, I've never had cell phone service when I end up setting a camera and I'm like, Hey, well, this is a waste. So I just never invested in them. So, you know, uh, it, uh, I, I just want to chime in with one thing on that because, uh, there is, so on my property here where we live in Montana, I, there is no cell service. Okay. I, in order to even, uh, make a phone call, I have to do Wi-Fi calling and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's no cell phone, cell phone service here. So if my internet goes down, I'm like completely dead in the water, but I, I do have, I have a, a, a flex G 36 from spy point. Mm-hmm. And, and so this spy point camera, what, what happens with it? is it's not like like i i had another i had another brand in my last property i love my cell cams man it like my my it, my phone will kind of ding and it'll be three in the morning i'll be dead asleep you could drive a truck through my bedroom and i wouldn't wake up but if that little ding went off i would be awake checking that camera because i i wanted to, and man i had some monster freaking uh whitetail coming through my property last year that never showed up in the daylight um, and, and I ended up shooting kind of a, you know, a, I don't know, he was three and a half, four and a half year old buck. Um, anyways, this, uh, this flex G 36 is, is, a, it is not like the other trail cameras where you have to select, okay, I want Verizon service or AT&T or whatever. It will, it will just find what service it can through whatever providers in the area. And so I have Verizon with my cell phone. And I've got no cell service on our property, but I put this Flex G36 out and it, I don't know what service it's picking up, but it, I, I get pictures two or three times a day. Well, depending on how many times my damn dog goes running in front of it. Um, but it's, it's, uh, you, you don't need as good of a, of cell signals as, as you may think, uh, with, with this spy point camera. Um, it just, it like is, it does a really good job. I'm super impressed with it. It it does a really good job. Um, I should hook you up with one, man. If you haven't had a flex G 36. That's good to know. I I've never even messed with one to be honest with you. I mean, but that's super intriguing. Um, Mm -hmm. the thing that I would love to use or the cell camera thing. And what I was going to say, some of my buddies that have them, you, you can stay out of the area, like, you know, a lot more because you're like, Oh, Hey, I'm getting pictures of this deer. It's coming through at this time, this and that. And you're not scenting up the area. You're not in there, you know, checking cameras and making yourself known. Uh, especially if you are going to go hunt, it's like, Hey, like this deer's running by, I'm going to go in here and just hunt this thing versus having to get Intel and then hunt, you know? And yeah. so, um, trust me, I would love to run one. I just, well, it is what it is. I'm going to look so. into it. I, I, I think I, I, Spy Point is one of our uh, one of our sponsors on our show here. So, uh, but I, I didn't want to say that in the beginning to make people think I'm just I'm I'm like promoting it. I don't get anything if somebody just goes and buys a Spy Point. So just FYI, uh, it, it legitimately is a really good camera, and there's some other really good cameras out there with other brands. Uh, but but what I like about this one with Spy Point is it picks up multiple different ser- phone services. So I'm going to see if I could hook you up with one, man. Uh, let yeah. me, let me find out what the, the, the camera question I was going to ask you is when you set your cameras and you go check the SD cards and you're getting all this data, 
like okay i've got i've got this buck coming in um like consistently between 8 and 9 a.m and then this buck randomly is showing up at all sorts of different times of day uh, and then I've got this weird, this funky buck with the drop tine on the left. He's coming in consistently only between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What what do you do with that information? How do you decipher it? And how do you hunt based on the information you're learning from your cameras? Yeah, so I guess what I do, and, and I kind of start looking at that, is um, you know what deer is more consistent, and then do I want to kill that deer? And then, you know, Mm -hmm. if it's, yeah, like I want to hunt him, obviously I'm going to kind of really start focusing in on that and hunting him pretty tough. Um, And then if there's a deer that's showing up late at night and then I'm going to start questioning that because I'm like, okay, he's working his way over here and he's getting here, but he's not showing up to the party till, you know, middle of night. Where's he bedding? And it's obviously we're not close enough to his bedroom. So then it kind of, Okay, which trails he taken in? Let's see if we can find his track or some form of rub or something okay. where he's coming from. Just, just to hold that thought for just, I, I, I've got to dig into what you just said there. You, you're getting a picture on on the on the camera, and you're checking that, and you're you're saying to yourself, "Where's he bedding? Are you are you saying like, are you checking your Onyx after you you check your camera, and you're you're just kind of looking for the most logical areas for that buck to be bedding during the day, or can you expand on that? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I'll start pulling out my onyx and I'm looking at it saying, you know, okay, these other deer are showing up around this time and then he's not showing up till way late or whenever. Uh, he's definitely not betting, you know, within, you know, a couple hundred yards or, you know, half a mile, mm-hmm. like type of thing. Like he could be a mile up the canyon, you know, and he's wandering down. So then it's like, where where is he coming from? What's the most logical spot that this buck's probably betting? And sometimes you have no idea. And so then it's like, I'll start looking around. And if you get a couple of days of pictures, figure out, okay, he's coming from the left here every day. That means he's coming, you know, up the Canyon, whatever, uh, or over this next little Ridge. Okay. There, it's pretty thick up there in that spot. I could totally see him living up in there. Let's start looking for some tracks and backtracking here a little bit. And then I'll start that's after I've already kind of figured out where I think he might be. Then I'm starting to really look pretty hard for the, the tracks or any sort of rub or anything, you know, outside of my core area. And then, you know, do my, my best guess. And then I'll take another camera and go throw it out there, you know, on another trail or wherever tracks, or if I find some or, Oh, okay. Well, he might be coming through. Oh shoot. We got a picture and he's two hours earlier. Now we're getting somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I'll kind of really just start playing that backwards of, you know, how are we going to hone in on this deer and then start working my way that way. If, if that's the deer I want to kill, but then all of a sudden, then you get the wild card one day after you've done all this homework and he shows up in the middle of freaking day at your stand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that that is like for, for me, John, that is what separates mule deer hunting versus whitetail hunting is the wild card aspect. And, and I don't get the wild cards with muleys that I do with whitetail. I got to, I, 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 and that, that we're going to wrap this up here pretty quick. Sure. One question out of that. Let's say that there was a governor of Western hunting and he was totally in charge of everything. Right. Yep. 
and he came to your house and uh, was like, John, for the rest of your life, you can only hunt mule deer or whitetail. Which one would you pick? Oh, whitetail all day. Whitetail all day. Why? Why? Tell yeah. me a little bit. Um, I just, I, to me, Ryan Lampers and Phelps, they're all, they'd kill me for this, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the chase, like it is to me, I, I've hunted mule deer. I've killed some big mule deer. I mean, I, heck one year I drew a mule deer tag in Washington and I had a giant white tail on my camera that year. And I ended up shooting this mule deer. Well, I had a mule deer, this special tag and I'd waited 12 years to draw it. And so I went and hunted it, but I killed this 193 inch mule deer and the white tail that I had on my camera ended up getting whacked and it was bigger than that mule deer. I'll just leave it at that. Oh and, man, that is a blow. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, long story short, I, um, to me, like the mule deer are easier in a way to find. It's like you said, like, I kind of know where I can go and look and I'm going to find mule deer and, you know, like go hunt them. And the other thing I feel like with the mule deer is how many times have you seen one and they run, you spook them, they run out and they just stop at a hundred yards broadside. And it's like, Hey, shoot me, you know, like here's oh, all um, the time. Unless it's, it, it, I, I would say if, if it's a five point mule deer or bigger well no i'm, I'm not even gonna say that. I, i'm gonna say if it's a like 140 class inch mule deer or bigger i've never personally seen that if they're younger than that they always stop yeah i mean so well for well okay so for example that 193 inch mule deer that i killed that thing we spotted it i ended up sneaking down in there and i come over this knoll and i knew it was going to be right over the knoll and dude it's at like 30 yards and I hemmed and hawed about shooting it for a second because its body was so big when I actually got up close, it threw the horn size off, even though I knew the horns were big, but like, I thought he was like 170 inch deer, not that big. So it was the first day of my hunt. And I was like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to kill that thing. So I literally let him run out and he runs out to like 80 yards and just stops broadside and just looks back. And I was like, wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. He's like an eight and a half year old deer. And super old buck he's got kickers going all over the place and i was like you know that's bigger than i think i know he's as big as we thought in the beginning like i'm gonna kill it so i just blew it over and <laughs> but he just ran out and stopped and so and then i killed another mule deer in montana a couple of years ago three years ago whatever that thing did the same thing took off running ran out to like 350 400 yards and just stopped broadside on the hill like looking back and he was just like hi shoot me so i shot him he's like 170 inch buck and so like now white tails i mean uh, i've blown more opportunities on big bucks than like i've ever i've killed and i mean they're just so hard and just from drawing your bow getting a bow off the bow hook getting set up being able to draw and get the full draw without them hearing you to me is the hunt like that's 99 battle once you get the full draw especially if they're 20 30 yards like it's kind of game over but getting to that point not being you know not getting smelled and just the whole game man i've i've drawn back on big bucks and they'll hear one little like your arrow sliding across the rest so faint you can hardly hear it boom they freak out they take off running or you get to full yeah, draw yeah. they catch your movement and they spook 
they are so much harder to truly kill when it comes down to killing time than it is like a mule deer, in my opinion. And that's why, and they're just harder to find a big mature buck. Like they're mule deer. I feel like you can see them out there and especially if you're hunting sage or something, it's like, they're just standing out there all day long. So (laughs) I don't know if they're standing out there all day long, John. I know I'm just throwing it out, but it's definitely a different, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, there, there is nothing that you said that I would, I would disagree with at all uh, from, from that standpoint. Yeah, I, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, what, what I really like about you, John, it, it, I, I think I, I think about this every time we have a conversation, um, you're so casual about knocking over big animals like we we were talking a week ago or whatever when I when I was calling you for that other thing outside of the podcast, and you're like, eh, I got sick of waiting, so I you know killed us just this you know no big deal, that little six point elk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for guys like me that are like, I'd be super excited to knock over a raghorn, and I'd be I'd be texting you. It'd be three in the morning. I'd be texting you, waking your ass up. Look at this buck, or look at this bull. Like, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and and then you're like, ah, this 193 inch mule deer, man. You know, I just decided to tip it over because it stopped and looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, 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 I love it, it's, man. Yeah, it, it's one of those things, you know. I mean, it's I put in so much time, in, and I and I'll I think this is where, for me personally, and anyone that knows me, like close, really close. I mean, drives my wife nuts, but like this is what I think about. 365 days a year like even if i'm working oh, yeah. I'm constantly thinking about hunting and i'm scouting i'm looking at onyx we'll be laying in bed and i kid you not i mean it, every night that goes by especially summer and fall like i'm on onyx every night looking even if i've scouted an area 50 times i'm still looking and it, yep. it, i spent so much time and invested in it it's like when i'm out there I want to make sure I'm like giving it everything I have. And then, you know, it's almost like I expect in a way, like, you know, to have the results that I've envisioned in my head. And then when things start going sideways, I'm like, okay, what's plan B, C, D, how am I getting back to A, you know? And so then it's like when I see some of these animals and then you're like, okay, well, dang, you know, like that was almost too easy you know, but I've already put in so much time and effort on some, you know, some hunts, like it's, it doesn't, I don't know. It's like, it's weird. I, I don't know how to explain. I don't know if I'm explaining it right. No, you're, like, you're, you're explaining it right, man. I, I think yeah, it, 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 what, what happens is like some people achieve this thing with hunting where it's like, it sounds like a, a stupid, uh, cliche ish term, but, uh, or whatever, but you're a next level hunter, man. Like I'm not, I'm not a next level hunter. I I would be, I would be tickled. I'd be happier than a homeless dude on a ho on a on a hoagie sandwich if if I if I got a raghorn bowl, right? I I, I just th- th- because I'm not a next level hunter. I I'm a I'm a decent hunter. I'm not a I'm not a great hunter. You're a great hunter, and and it shows in the effort that you put into it, both preseason and during season. And, and the results that you get out of season and, and you're just one of those dudes that is next level. And so I, I think about, you know, what, what, it's funny you say that, like, you know, pulling up on X while you're laying in bed and 
Like my, my wife thinks I'm watching her uh, stupid bachelor golden bachelor show or something she's been putting on lately. Yeah. Uh, it's like the bachelor, but it's an old dude and he sounds just like Joe Gillia from elk bros. And so I keep thinking she's watching elk bros or something. Nope. Yeah. It's bachelor. And, ah. uh, y- you know, she, she thinks I want to be into it or whatever. I'll, I'll be, I'll be looking at Onyx. Anyway, the point is that the, the, you've, you've achieved a thing that a lot of hunters strive to achieve. And, and let's, let's face it. Not a lot of hunters get to that level in their life. And, that could be for many reasons. It could be just for, you know, basic skill levels, basic commitment levels, basic, you know, focus levels. Uh, how committed are you to, and I'm, I'm saying this to the listeners, how committed are you to hunting? How, how committed, because there's nothing wrong with somebody who gets a deer tag and, and just wants to go out and, and shoot a little, you know, fork and horn or something because they only have a Saturday and a Sunday. I, I don't, I don't care if people are like that. I, I don't, I don't judge people for that. Uh, I, I, I judge, I judge your commitment. I judge a person's like commitment versus how they present themselves. And you're a super, super humble guy that presents himself in that way, but you're like massively successful in the field. And I think that that's really cool. I think that's a, a, like a super rare and, and really cool, uh, combination. And there's not a lot of people that have that, you know, you have you, you have like Cam Haynes. You have um, I feel like Dirk Durham's like this. He like he's a super humble guy. Uh, he's confident, but he's humble. And yep. and you have you have other hunters out there that you know they've reached this next level kind of thing, and um, they're also just cool dudes. In the meantime, then you have these people that reach this high level, this this next level kind of hunting level or skill level, and and they're they're freaking assholes about it. You know. Uh, it's a total turnoff for for the rest of us that are just kind of average hunters, you know. And so I want to go back real quick. Uh, there has got to be something because you grew up hunting whitetails, right? Uh, yes and no. I mean, blacktails. I grew up in Western Washington, so I hunted them when I was young and uh, elk, Roosevelt elk, and stuff like that. So I kind of grew up hunting elk and and blacktails, but. I was pretty young and my dad, we started hunting whitetails. So I, uh, I pretty much, yeah, I've been hunting whitetails since I was kind of in my teen years. Well, nobody and, respects a blacktail hunter. Um, let's just fade. No, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. I'm just shoots, pissing my no Western one, Washington. No one shoots those things. I mean, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. we're going to get nasty emails, man. But, um, going back to, you know, making a choice, if you wanted to be, you know, for you, it's hands down a whitetail hunter versus mule deer and and what i would say to you is like five years ago heck even three years ago if somebody would have asked me that it would have been hands down a mule deer hunter um Mm -hmm. absolutely no questions asked if you ask me today i i i think i would still lean towards the mule deer but i am very much on the fence and i don't know that i can answer the question honestly because i've i've gotten addicted in the last half a decade here to uh to these whitetail bucks man they they are something else i was wrong about them before i started hunting them and i'm not talking about you know i spent a few years out in north carolina and 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 shot a few little whitetail out there uh it's different it's different than what we're talking about now these whitetail public land mountain bucks are like they will send thrills through your body that even a giant bugling bull elk sometimes will not do 
Uh, and, and and it's just because they have this mystique and this mysteriousness to them that I, I just you just don't get with other species, man. Like they're they're just insane. Again, I think it's still. And again, this goes to my childhood. Like you were talking, you grew up, you know, blacktail, whitetail. I grew up solely on on mule deer hunting. That's it's what I know, and it's it's what I like dreamed about when I'm ten years old, uh, reading hunting magazines and and dreaming about going on hunt uh, the next hunt and 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 whatever. It was always mule deer, always mule deer over elk, over everything else. And so it, it would be hard for me to say that I'd prefer to hunt whitetail, but I will tell you that I'm. In the year 2023, I will be spending a lot more time pursuing whitetail bucks than I will mule deer bucks. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm with you on that. You know, I think here here's my thing that and people ask, you know, about whitetails and why I love them and this and that. The amount of big whitetail bucks that I've truly seen in the daylight, let alone you yes. know, kill. And when you do see one. It's either you better shit or get off the pot. Sorry for the language, but like oh, you're if good, you're gonna, you, you better figure out a way real quick and kill that thing because the amount of time that you're going to get a chance. And, and I'm talking these mountain bucks, like not, I, like I said, I haven't hunted them in the Midwest, so I don't know. But like the mountains are so tough and the things change. The amount of opportunity window that you have to kill one of these deer is so small. And mm-hmm. like... I've literally stood out on a hillside and watched mule deer feed around and had a chance to shoot bucks and like, let them go because you're sitting there watching them or elk. Like I've had some really nice bulls this year. I mean, I had some really nice bulls come in and stand there and look around and decided to pass on them. And it, it, you know, it's kind of one of those things where the amount I could probably, if I added up the amount of time opportunity window, we'll just say that to kill these whitetails and all the ones that I've killed, it is so much shorter. Like I probably could have one elk that stood there longer than I've had opportunities to shoot all the whitetails. Oh yeah. I I believe that they're so they're, they're there and they're gone. And like times when I've caught glimpses of a big buck and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, here comes one and poof, he vanishes and you never see him again. And so they're just, they're tough. I mean, and that's, Uh, I think my draw. Yeah. Well, John, uh, as always, man, I got personally, I got a lot out of this conversation. I I'm sure the audience did too. Uh, I just, I I'm so stoked for, for whitetail season this year, even though I, I, I do feel like, well, like we were talking earlier, I, I feel totally unprepared this season because, uh, of, of, uh, how, how fast this year has gone by, you know, but, um, I do have a line, man. I have a line on a few good bucks. So, uh, I'm hoping they, they kind of maintain either what they've been doing or what they were doing last year, because, uh, it's going to be a good season if they do. Um, I just, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. Anything else you want to, you want to share with everybody before we, we call it a call it a night. Um, nah, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. We, we covered a lot. I think the biggest thing is just go out and enjoy your time in the woods and friends and family and, you know, make the best of it. Cause yeah it's short-lived so yeah for sure uh anything with the elk collective anything new you want to share for for anybody listening the elk collective is an online uh educational what what do you call that a digital course right a digital elk hunting course and yeah elk hunting course learning slash learning center we'll call it maybe 
Yeah, and it, and it it applies to anybody that's looking to hunt archery, uh, rifle, muzzle muzzle loader, late season, early season. It doesn't matter. So, uh, you guys, it's it's not um, like astronomically priced. It's actually super reasonable. Uh, if anybody's interested in jumping on the L Collective and and uh, what what is that course like eighty nine bucks or something? Yeah, and I think we're running a special right now for like fifty nine. If you want to go pick it up for a bit. Oh yeah, that's a, that's actually a good idea for you late season hunters. Yep. Yep. And yep. so I don't, I don't, I'd have to go look at you catch me off guard. I don't remember what the code is exactly, <laughs> but go, go on there. There'll be a code. You can get it for like 59 bucks and, um, pick it up for late season here. You'll still pick up some tips and tactics on, uh, late season strategies and your gear and that type of stuff and how to take care of an elk after and yeah, process it and all that, the whole, the whole thing. So go to the Heck yeah, man. Elkcollective.com. And, uh, also the Instagram is like the underscore elk underscore collective dot com or whatever at Instagram, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then your Instagram is John dot Gabriel. And yeah. so, if uh, you guys, it, all that'll be in the show notes, guys, if you guys want to check it out. So, John, again, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, that was a really good conversation. I think uh, we're, we're going to see some more notch tags this year because of uh, some of the information you provided. Sure, hope so. I just love seeing people be successful. Heck yeah, man. Well, let's keep in touch, and and thanks again for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate it. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.